1: Blob Talk Radio What up in the morning when I wake up Even before I fill my coffee cup I said thank you Thank you. What if I looked at the day and the hours ahead? And before I moved forward, I bowed my head and said, Thank you. Oh, I said, Thank you. What if I looked at my life in a different way? Took a little more time to stop and pray. I know it would change all the moments in between. So here I go. Thank you for everything.
0: Thank you for joining us here at Energy Awareness Radio. Every single one of us at some point has experienced loss, heartbreak, or rejection. And all of these are forms of abandonment. It's not a good feeling. It's difficult to navigate our feelings, and it can be very challenging to understand the why of the situation. And while we are all entitled to our feelings, we actually do much better managing them properly so we may effectively move on with our lives while honoring our experiences and healing in a healthy, forward-moving way. This is your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am the founder and CEO of the Ho- Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing the basic necessities of life to underprivileged children. I'm also a reconnective healing practitioner, certified vibrational sound therapist, and positive psychology practitioner at Quantum Wellness Center, my private practice located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Just download the title you prefer, free of charge, and start listening when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. My guest is Susan Anderson, author of Taming Your Outer Child, and she was just here last year to talk about that with us on Energy Awareness Radio. She has also authored The Journey from Abandonment to Healing and our topic for discussion, The Abandonment Recovery Workbook. Susan is the founder of the Outer Child and Abandonment Recovery Movements, and she's devoted the past 30 years of clinical experience and research to helping people resolve abandonment and overcome self-sabotage. Susan, welcome back to the show. Thank you for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being?
2: Well, I'm wonderful, and thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be
0: here. Well, you know, we get somebody good, we we like to have them back. So thank you. (laughs) Okay, here I am. There you are. You know, as I said in the intro, everyone at some point feels abandonment in one way or another. So your book, The Abandonment Recovery Workbook, is really a book that pretty much everyone may want to have on their shelves as a reference to help them when they need, you know, to, to look something up or when the need arises and they're having those feelings, there's so much information. And it feels to me to be really a great tool in the healing process. So, you know, there's really not a whole lot of, light that's shed on abandonment, and yet it seems to be a common issue, but I think that's because of the perspective that people look at with abandonment. So why don't we start by you telling us a bit about how you came to this work to bring it to the forefront? Well, I had always,
2: in in my clinical work for over 20 years, um, I had always used abandonment as sort of the the focus of, of, you know, sort of the lens that I used. And then suddenly I went through my own abandonment where the love of my life, my marital partner of 18 years, you know, he he up and left me for another woman, and I was devastated. And it it was so powerfully painful that it occurred to me that the tools that I had been using to help my clients with all those years, even though they never complained and always thanked me for helping them – they, th- those tools were too weak, and I had to go on a journey searching for better tools so that I could help myself, and by helping myself, maybe help other people as well. And I already knew that psychology and self-help had nothing on, they, they had uh, work done on, on separation, um, and trauma, grief, um, heartbreak, uh, self-help had a lot on health, Uh, heartbreak but it tended to trivialize the feelings Um, through no fault of the authors there just wasn't a framework to really talk about the kind of wound that it was and nothing in any of the literature spoke to the center of the pain how deep it went how how all-encompassing it was so I had to search other disciplines animal psychology epidemiology i mean very remote fields to search for dots to connect and over a period of years and with the help of a research mentor who could decipher scientific studies since i'm not a scientist um, i was able to come up with some some tools that really proved to be effective and i tried them out on myself and in, within workshops and on others and they were effective so it was sort of a good news, almost a revolution for me, and so I shared it. And I got a a lot of responses, of course, from the first book, and the, the book, Journey from Abandonment, people wrote to me and attended more workshops and begged me for a workbook. And then came Outer Child, which helped people deal with self-sabotage, which is the right. aftermath of abandonment. And people begged for a workbook to help with all those tools. So that's how the workbook idea got started.
0: And, you know, it's great because a lot of times, well, when you write from experience, you know, you really can put your heart and soul into it because you know what you've been through and it does help other people. So from everything horrible that happens to us, there is something good that comes out of it. So thankfully, you know, you found a way to do that by sharing your experience and your wisdom with with everything that had occurred with you.
2: Yes, and that's also what everybody else needs to do because when you go through a humbling experience of abandonment, whether it's um that you you're, that you that the love of your life has left you or you might have been fired from a job or you might feel profoundly rejected because a friend forgot your birthday or you just feel the childhood issues of abandonment kind of impinging in your life and eroding you know your peace of mind and making you a little more insecure than you'd like to be well regardless of your abandonment scenario it is so beneficial to share it to not keep it under under wraps but to actually share it with other people because the sharing of it helps everybody since it is a universal issue really we all have it and it's wonderfully intimate when we can share it with other people
0: and, and I'll agree with you on that and, and go a step further and say, you know, a lot of people, when you say abandonment, they'll say, oh, well, I was never abandoned because they're thinking of the baby on the doorstep. You know, they're thinking of the father who just le- like in your book or in your workbook, when you wrote about the, the uh, little girl and the dad going into the woods and he just left her. He just left yes, her there. Yes. That was abandonment. But, right. you know, that's not mm-hmm. you took every you encompassed it all. There are so many different forms of in- abandonment. And I liked that because you can look, each one of us can look at our relationships that we have with people now and say, oh, okay, I understand why I'm feeling the way I am about this person because I'm feeling abandoned, or I understand why they're doing what they're doing because they are feeling abandoned. I mean, yeah. you know, it's sometimes when, when people are... Uh, you know, they'll say, well, I, I need somebody. If you're going to be a friend to me, you have to call me at least once a week. Okay, right. you know, some of us don't have that kind of time. So they feel abandoned if you don't call them once a week. But other people, you can call them once a year and pick up where you started, you know, where you left off. And there's no abandonment issue because everybody gets life happens and now we're happy we're connecting. So abandonment is really different for everyone. And you must have found that to be true with all of the work that you do and in your own research.
2: It is so true, and you can have abandonment issues and have never really had much so-called abandonment in childhood. You know, people who've had, if your parents are alcoholic, well, then you've had abandonment because they were there physically but not emotionally in, in, at certain times. Um, if you've gone through a divorce or Things of that sort those are those are abandonment experiences. If you went through an ugly duckling phase of childhood or you had learning disabilities, you know you went through a trauma that that created feelings of diminishment among your peers or within your family. Okay, so those are abandonment scenarios, but people who had idyllic childhoods or seemingly um can have very powerful abandonment feelings because we all had birth. We all had birth trauma. We all experienced separation trauma. No matter who we are, at some point we were one minute inside a womb where every all of our needs were being taken care of, and the next minute we were in this cold, bright-lit room, you know, suddenly by ourselves, ah, you know, with with no comfort. Uh-huh. But then we <laughs> were gathered into someone's arms and swaddled in warm clothing and then we were fed and then we were laid back in a crib where we were once again alone and eventually grew tired or grew cold and and hungry and scared and then we cried out and then once again we were picked up and yet again put back in the crib and this connection disconnection separation and disconnection that phenomenon Lives with us, so even if we didn't have an abandonment history, but we let's say uh, go through a a, a breakup in adulthood with someone who we really attached to, someone we really wanted to be with, and we feel rejected. Ooh, that fear that can bring us to our knees. So even Mm -hmm. people who never realize that they were vulnerable in this way suddenly realize, Ooh, I do have primal abandonment. This stuff hurts. So, and the wound is cumulative. So, the one who feels hurt because uh, let's say you don't call every week, she may have accumulated that wound not from one missed phone call, but from a couple of other friends who became neglectful or parents who had been neglectful or, you know, some other pre pre-experience that accumulated and made her vulnerable to that particular thing. Someone else may have not had that particular kind of area of sensitivity. They're, they have enough friends. They don't know what to do with all their friends. They can't keep up with their friends. You know, they, don't, they have other issues. We all have such a unique set of emotional markings on our wound, and we're all so unique, which calls for us to really listen to each other and learn to, how to be sensitive to each other.
0: You know, it's funny because you mentioned friends and, you know, with Facebook, you know, everybody does Facebook and oh. and people will say, oh, I have 100,000 friends. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> you a know, 100,000 people who may be following you or liking you. Or, I don't do my own Facebook page because I can't stand it. So for my foundation, I actually have somebody do it for me. And I don't have a personal page that I know of. They said, yes, you do, but you don't use it because you had to have one for that. And I'm like, whatever. I just can't take it. <laughs> like, yes. You know, when they, you know, yeah, yeah, have 40,000 friends. It's like, seriously, you really don't. Okay, just know that you don't, and move on because they're not going to be there for you.
2: (laughs) No, they're they're not they're They're not friends in the true sense. But there is so much abandonment abandonment. on Facebook.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think your book is coming out (laughs) at a very crucial time because people really believe they have these friends, and I'm like, just uh, from now on, I'm just going to say, here, go buy this book. (laughs) You need it because you don't have all these friends it's sad but you know they feel bad like why did somebody decide to not follow me why did somebody unfollow me why did somebody unlike me i don't know did you know them no well what do you care (laughs) yes
2: well there's that and then there's looking at your facebook page and discovering i don't do facebook either but i'm going by what my clients describe Um, they look at their facebook and they see what's going on in people's lives and they see pictures and they realize there was a party and they weren't invited or yeah. they see their a part, somebody took a picture and in the background is their girlfriend kissing somebody. Or, you mm. know, there are all these scenarios that come up and people feel that others are having exciting lives with beautiful pictures and their lives are, are dull, dull and <laughs> uneventful and they start comparing themselves. Facebook and all of social media creates another whole wave of abandonment feelings that are triggered. So there's another generation of people who are suffering from from all this, this social media kind of abandonment.
0: Yeah, Susan, I'm thinking you're going to need a bigger book. i think so (laughs) i really do you'll be back next year because it'll be like okay now you gotta combat (laughs) facebook i mean i you know i laugh because sometimes clients will say well i have all these friends and this is what happened and i know she said this and she was talking about me okay did you confront the person because maybe she wasn't talking about you (laughs) you know maybe it was something else and if it bothers you that much stop going on facebook stop checking it out it's really it it, it makes me, when, I, when people tell me this, I'll say to them, I think you need to find other outlets, other things to do than constantly look at Facebook. And if you're looking at Facebook while you're working, remember when you get fired, and you may, it's because you spent too much time looking at your own stuff. They're not paying you for that. I would fire someone who was on Facebook and looking at the social media all day, they would not be working for me any longer. That's well, just the end of the an story.
2: Obsession for so many people yeah. it's almost like the accident you can't take your eyes away the the reason for all of the rubbernecking you have to go on and see are you being excluded are people having a better life than you you know it's almost like an a, a compulsion to have to to watch what's going on in other people's lives it's a new phenomenon and we need we need a lot of remedies for that
0: we do because the what 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 we can't get through to people is When they show me their Facebook page, and I look at it, and it's it's foreign to me. I mean, I've been, I've seen, and I'm like, I don't really know what I'm looking at, and I don't care. This is not something I need to bother myself with. It's just too much negativity as far as I'm concerned. And when they show me things, and they'll say, you know, this is what's happening, and do you see this, and do you see that? I'm like, why do you care? Those people are putting that out there, but 99% of it probably is not even true. They're saying that because they can. This is like an avatar, they're just living a life on Facebook, but that's not the life they're living, you know, yes. and people people can't get that through. They don't understand that at all. So, yeah, you have another book coming on, I'm sure. If not, <laughs> you will after this show. <laughs> but you do yep. talk about the differences or the devastation levels, let's say, depending upon abandonment, like a, a breakup versus grieving a death. Both of those are abandonment issues, and yet the levels are drastically different depending upon the person would would yeah. you agree with that, that well yes
2: because the the two for instance grieving a death and being abandoned by someone you love um both involve loss so the grief process of abandonment is overlaps a lot with the grief process that goes when someone dies it's, it's very similar loss is loss but then with abandonment you feel rejected And that rejection complicates the grief, and it's what causes the self-esteem to go into crisis, where you start to think you're not worthy, that you're not attachment-worthy, that you're not enough, you're not special enough, that it's your fault, that you can't hold on to someone's love, that you're a failure, you can't keep a relationship going. Those awful feelings that damage the self, and they're universal, we all have those if we feel abandoned, um, those awful feelings differentiate the grief of abandonment from grief over death. Now, if the death was a suicide and the person chose to leave that way, or if there were terrible unresolved conflicts within the relationship, such as, let's say, the husband found out that his wife was cheating on him just before she died, and he has grief over losing her but also abandonment on top of it. When abandonment is really triggered during the grief process with, over death, there is a much more complicated grief process, and it's prolonged. A lot of issues have to be resolved. Abandonment grief is, is nitty-gritty stuff. It takes a lot to work your way through it without being damaged by it. You know, the goal of abandonment recovery is to benefit from the experience rather than be diminished by it. And there's a step-by-step sure. way of doing that. It's, over, it's an overwhelming experience, but there's a path. There's a step-by-step way of doing it, and the workbook was written to make it as easy for people to follow the paths as possible.
0: And, you know, and it does, everything in here is easy to read. It's easy to read, simple to understand, so it's not something that's uh, academic and over anybody's head. They can actually go through this and do this rather easily. I am going to ask a question that's a little off topic because I want to see your take on it. But when we talk about uh, people experiencing grief due to the loss of a loved one, okay, that, that is abandonment. And sometimes, sometimes it can be a little different because you will hear people, especially, let's say, uh, a married couple, all right, and the husband is, you know, a street angel and a house devil, and the wife knows it, and she's not happy in the marriage, and then the husband passes away. And now that husband becomes a saint. Yeah. And what is up with that?
2: Well, when we we lose someone we love, the part of them that we took for granted suddenly boomerangs and hits us really hard in the back of the head. It's the background object. We didn't realize to what extent that person had provided some kind of homeostasis. We didn't realize mm-hmm. that at least that person was someone who could, if we had to go to the hospital, they would pick us up from the hospital. If we got a lot of groceries, they would be the one to maybe help us carry the groceries in. That If we had to move, they would at least sh- you know, share or at least we could t- complain to them about the hassle of having to move. So the the person, even if there's a tremendous unhappiness in the marriage, and there often is, at the very Mm -hmm. least served as a background object. And when that person dies, all of a sudden the needs that that person was meeting um, suddenly well up and you begin to put that person on a pedestal. Oh, my precious. You start to fall in love with them all over again. You start to recognize worth that they had that you hadn't seen in years but you don't step back and say i hated the guy yesterday but now i now because he's dead i love him you don't that isn't um conscious you just feel so bereft and you miss him so much because he had done things you hadn't even realized but but it feels as if you've always felt this way and so you idealize the person you pedestalize them and, you know, it's, it's a very natural part of the process that you put the person on a pedestal because it's, in a way, it's nature's way of allowing you not to completely lose that person. So you get to incorporate their good parts. Ten years later or five years later or two years later after they've died, you're able to be more objective and say, you know, this wasn't right and that wasn't right and he didn't do this and he was he was faulty about this. But I appreciate these little pieces, even though the rest of it was pretty difficult. You begin to sort it out and see, you know, be, go back to a more objective picture. But that, that idealization process allows you to incorporate the person so that you don't feel death touching you so closely on the shoulder you it kind of insulates you from the full extent of it um whereas with abandonment you also put the person on a pedestal the fact that they left you makes them even more special they've bested you they've proven themselves to be superior because they dismissed you and threw you to the side of the road like you were trash so they suddenly become big huge figures that you make you think they're so special and your job isn't to idealize these people you don't want to pedestalize them they are but you want to take them off their pedestal you know see them realistically de-pedestalize them that's the job of the person who's been Rather than widowed or, you know, or left by death, the person who's been rejected, dumped, you know, betrayed has to take that person off the
0: pedestal. That makes sense. And that, you know, because a lot of times when that happens, it's it can drive you crazy as the listener. You know. Oh, yeah. Here. Because, especially if you know the person, and you think all they did was talk badly about you, all they did was treat you miserably, they never helped you, you had to call other people to help you with everything. And you're not saying this, you're just thinking it in that bubble beside your head. At least I have one that I walk around with all the time. And, yeah. you know, you're thinking, why are they, now all of a sudden this person is a saint. Oh, my yeah. God. And I think I think it also has something to do with um, kind of getting rid of guilt, because they feel bad because of the way they felt when the person was alive, and now they can't ever make amends yes you know that's very true yep. yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's a big okay factor. so back it, yeah i think it is so i just wanted to get your take on that because i felt like is that really abandonment or is it you know is there more to it than that and so that was a good answer and thank you for taking that off topic and, and handling it um I, I like the five stages of abandonment that, that you offer through your swirl swirl do you want to go into that Do you want to talk talk about that for a bit
2: well, yes, the the stages are shattering, withdrawal, internalizing, rage, and lifting. And they, they spell swirl, which is how the process is. You go through an abandonment experience, you know, and you swirl through these phases. You swirl through them within an hour, within a week, within a month, within a year, cycles within cycles. And their shattering is when you feel the rug pulled out from underneath you. You're You're just shattered like a shard of glass. You're just... In a million pieces and then withdrawal is when you start to yearn for the person you start to pine for them it's painful you're you're craving something that isn't there you need a love fix and you can't get it it's it's the body's opiate system that are endogenous the endorphins the endogenous opiates that we have um are now you're in withdrawal from those and you have flu-like symptoms you can't eat you can't sleep you have you're strung out. You have the, you know, you're you're, you're jumpy. You're restless. Um, you, you, all of those symptoms are because you're yearning for the lost love object. And then in the internalizing, um, the eye of the swirl, um, you are beating yourself up. You're taking the anger that you feel about being rejected, and you're beating yourself up with it, and causing yourself to become severely depressed. And you're blaming yourself for being, being abandoned. You're taking it out on yourself. I must be an idiot. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, oh, I'm not successful enough. I'm not beautiful enough. You know, all the things that we do to, to doubt our worth. And so during that internalizing process, we're taking a beating from ourselves. But then during the rage stage, which is the next to the last phase, you you are enraged at the situation. You're enraged at your friends for saying things like, just let go and move forward, when in fact it's so hard mm. to do that. If only right. you could move, let go and move forward. You just can't because the process is so overwhelming. You're swirling through it. You You're not in control of what you're feeling. It's just so painful. So you're enraged with your friends and the situation, and if you have you know, the, 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 the courage, you are even enraged at the abandoner. Now, a lot of abandonment survivors, especially if they w- went through childhood abandonment also, are so bereft of love at that point, they're afraid to express their anger toward the abandoner because they don't want to lose another drop of love. You know, they're hungry, desperate for a crumb from their ex-lover. So they're afraid to get angry at him or her. So they take it out on themselves or on their friends. But then after the rage stage, it comes lifting. And in lifting, you feel intervals of relief from the grief, just maybe for a few moments, and then maybe the intervals increase over time. But when you go through lifting, you have to use the program to know what to do with the feelings because you don't want to let the feelings you don't want to lift above the feelings you don't want to leave those feelings buried under the calluses of your heart wound you want to take the feelings with you because if you leave the feelings under that that callus wound that you're carrying you will lose sensitivity and will have trouble feeling again And so that when you get into your next relationship, you're only attracted to the unavailable. I call that a -a bandaholism because the only emotion, you're dying to feel something, but the only emotions you can feel are rejection, emotional deprivation, insecurity. So you keep chasing after people who can get you to feel those things because that's what you can feel now. When you can't feel love, you know, it's too... It's too mild a feeling, and you can't feel it. Your heart has been broken. So people develop this pattern of abandonholism, and so it's very important. Many other patterns can come out of it, too. Um, It's very important to take your feelings with you and to use your vulnerability to really be in touch with yourself and other people, create deeper intimacy, and just continue to be attuned to your own emotions and to be able to operate with self-love and, and caring for other people.
0: You know, I think, too, that these, when, when we talk about this, and I didn't, I, I, I had never heard of swirl before, but when I'm working with people and I can see what phases they're going through of the grief process, let's say, they go back and forth. It it isn't like you you hit on one and now you've completed it and you move to the next one and when you get to the step five you're done. That's not how it works. It no, goes unfortunately, back and forth. Con- yeah, yeah. You, yeah,
2: yeah. You overlap it th- into them. You you go through the swirl over and over and over again. And some people are more stuck in the internalizing phase where they're they're hating themselves and feeling low about themselves and some people get stuck in the rage phase where they're they have an agitated depression and they're lashing out all over some people get stuck in the second phase withdrawal where they're just constantly emotionally hungry and they're stuffing it with you know shopping uh... drugs alcohol food you know they're just overindulging because they're so emotionally hungry They're sleeping all the time because they're just in need. They're yearning. So people get stuck in different phases of this process. So when you swirl, it isn't like you go through each phase and then you go to the next and then you go to the next. It depends on your history and your personality and your temperament, but you swirl through them and and it's pretty bumpy and you can get pretty well stuck in a couple of those stages.
0: It's true, and... And when I read this, I was laughing because I've been through this just this year. And I had somebody say, how did you get over it so fast? And I said, you just, when you go through a lot of different things, you know how to handle things a little bit differently. It doesn't mean I'm done. It just mean, it means that I got to a point where I said, you know what, I need the distraction to move on with my life, and I'm going to do that and handle that and just move on with that while realizing that I understand where the other person was coming from and I can feel compassion for that person, but it has absolutely nothing to do with me at this point. And they kind of didn't understand that. And in my head, I get it, and that's really the only place it counts because it's the person going through it that has to understand it and, and feel what they feel. Um, so I think history does have a lot to do with how you well, handle you're different things. Well,
2: is very important. I hope everybody got to hear what you just said because the, what people need so much is hope at a time of complete hopelessness you can learn how to deal with this and you can you still you go through you know another breakup or something or friend or whatever it is and oh yes it hurts it hurts you know it's a punch in the stomach it hurts yep. but you get through it you you get through it you you move on you pick yourself up you dust yourself off and you're back out there again and you you don't walk away from it bitter with a whole you know head trip of resentment you kind of understand the other person's, you know, limitations, the other person, it's about them, not about you. And, you know, this right. is what happened and you come out of it unscathed. And it's so important for people to know that you can get to that place, that yep. there's no love insurance. You can never, people of course, come to my workshops because they want love insurance. How can you mm. tell <laughs> if someone's an abandoner? Well, you you really have to you you can sort of begin to screen people a little differently because you know many of many people abandonment survivors have broken pickers as they say they choose they keep choosing the wrong person but okay so that you you work on that too but you can't guarantee that the next person you're with isn't going to hurt you in some way you can't protect right. yourself completely from all the things that can happen in life Um, You have to be prepared, but you can learn tools that help you get through it.
0: Sure. And, you know, I would imagine that a person, you know, may not necessarily know if they are in a stage for too long. They may not know that they're stuck. They probably are not aware where they are. I mean, you know, forest for the trees and all. So when someone tells them or they figure it out on their own that they are stuck, you have many tools that they can use to get them to go to the next step,
2: yeah, you know people do get stuck. I would say the two of the most popular ones um are people <laughs> who can't let go of their ex. They just can't let go they're in a relationship
0: yeah, that's a they, big they
2: might the guy still might call them for a booty call once in a while and then they yep. they, they 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 are weak and they give in into it, and then they have an emotional hangover for the next month. you know i mean they they really really uh can't let go and they have such a hard time that's a huge area of stuckness that millions of people are in not being able to get over someone and then the other one is not being able to get out of your patterns of self-sabotage not being Mm -hmm. able to to stop procrastinating and stop avoiding things or not being able to stop you know chasing the unavailable um not not stop uh Losing interest the minute the person that you're pursuing finally does become available. Stop you know fickling and losing interest. These patterns people get so stuck in these patterns, and they this is what drives them to read the books and come to the workshops and discuss it in a group. And for all those people, it is hard to overcome those patterns and to let go of someone that you're still in love with, et cetera. Those are challenges. There's no two ways about it. there's no magic pill. But there are ways of getting past it. There are things you can do. There are some insights, some dots you need to connect. And then there are some exercises that actually strengthen the muscle of the adult mind that help you get past it. And then there are doing, you know, baby steps and actions that you can institute that will actually get you out of it.
0: And, and I'm going to say this because it happens a lot in my practice when people come in and I give them tools and then they come back a week later or two weeks later and they'll say, well, I, I wasn't doing it consistently. Then you're not doing it. If you're not compliant, you're not going to get better. You know, no matter whether it's conventional medicine, holistic medicine, cognitive behavioral work, whatever it is, if you are not taking the tools and utilizing them, then you're probably not ready to do whatever it is and get past whatever it is. You're just too depressed to do it. You know, if you really want to work through it and do it, you will accomplish and get through what you need to get through. But if you're not going to give it the time, devote the time to it, it's not going to happen. and I, yeah, I, think I mean, sometimes there's a the... lot
2: of resistance to change.
0: Yeah. A change yes. is
2: very difficult for some people more than others. What annoys me as a therapist is that sometimes I give advice to a client who goes scampering off to just do exactly what I said, and this is the same thing that I, in my life, struggled with for years trying to do and just had such a hard time. When I was in, in high school, junior high, um, there was a, a place we used to go swimming and had a huge high diving board. And these friends of mine would dive off this diving board into this, like, little lake, you know, and they would do this. Mm-hmm. And I would go to the – I could dive. But I would go to the end of this diving board and would not be able to take the dive. I mean, physically, couldn't, life begun at my head wouldn't have been able to make me do it. I would wind Mm -hmm. up doing a belly flop or, you know, or jumping into the water and I just couldn't do it. And so when it comes to taking certain initiatives, people find themselves on the precipice of fear over changing Mm -hmm. the behavior, doing something. And it's so very uh, humbling for them when they realize that others can do it. Why can't I? Well, how come this is so hard for me? And, yes, we, we, we have tools that are so helpful, and it is so frustrating to see people not utilize the tools. But the tools yeah. are effective, and the workbook is designed to make the tools so incremental, baby step you know they're so mm-hmm. broken down into well, doing this whole thing might be difficult, but how about breaking it down into twenty steps? How about doing just that and then just that, and then just that, and little by little, um, working your way toward really making a leap in life. But as you know, those leaps are possible when we finally yeah. do it, we can do it. It's amazing, that and we can make you get changes. good at
0: it. You can get good at it because once you've done it, you realize, wait, this does work. And then the next time, it really is easier to implement. And people won't believe that either. And I tell them, if you try it once, it will be, you know, just like anything else. The first time you do it is hard, but you realize, oh, I did it. You can do it again. And then when you get good at it, and, you know, you don't really want to get good at this because you don't want this to happen to you so much that you're an expert, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but no, you, you do want to be able to handle the things. And interestingly enough, while, while people want to heal from the loss of the abandonment and go through the grief process of whatever, there are biological reasons why it takes so long to do so.
2: Yes, there are. Yes. Because, you know, as I said, the, the birth trauma is in there and that's conditioned the brain to have a very strong reaction um when you know when you go through a loss and it also it's an intrusive anxiety that interferes with relationships it causes self-sabotage so a typical scenario i'm telling you millions of people have this is that uh you know you you try to get into a relationship you start to like someone and the minute you like them you know you you're attracted uh you get anxious And so you Mm -hmm. you go, you're okay on the first date, but you liked him or her a lot, you know. And then, so the second date, you're a little bit more nervous, and you don't want to be. You want to be uninhibited, and you want to be confident, and you want to be sexy and free, and, you know, but you're inhibited and, and... Worried, and then your phone doesn't ring after the second date and your heart sinks because you think that they're never calling. And then you wait all day and the next day, and then the phone finally rings and you're so glad because they're finally calling. And it, it's almost as if, you know, the, the anxiety creates the sun rises or sets about whether you get a phone call. <laughs> this kind of anxiety is not something people sign up for, but they sure have it. A lot of people have crippling anxiety that makes them freak out when they start to feel attached to somebody. You know, when they're really attracted, they freak out, men and women. This is something so prevalent, and it's something that plagues people, and they want to get rid of it so badly. Of course, that's what brings them to the workshops and the workbook and the other books, learning how to do that.
0: But it makes sense, because again it's change and it's fear of loss because what if i fall in love with this person and they don't love me back and then i'm going to be hurt again and i don't want to go through that and oh no it's a whole bunch of stuff
2: it is and even the most intellectual people who have it all worked out like a, a, i'm thinking of someone who just told me i understand that love involves risk and i feel attracted and if if something went wrong i'd be able to live i'd be able to live through it it since i understand all of that so well why am i this anxious i am so anxious i can barely function you know so mm. it's there's an it's comes from such a primitive place you know there's the cerebral yeah. cortex that understands things then there is this amygdala this part of the you know the the limbic brain so sure. called limbic um that's part of the lower brain system um, and it it takes it 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 Sends out these messages of warning, danger, danger. You know, yeah. and it's because our brain is conditioned yeah. to yes, to equate uh, being attracted to someone with with being annihilated. So you know, we we've cut, our wires are crossed, and when we feel very attracted, you know, the anxiety builds to almost an unbearable level, and it's not rational. And no matter how intelligent and independent and high functioning we are this can still happen.
0: Oh yeah, because emotions take over and that's the end of the story. <laughs> that's the <laughs> end of the story. Like and that's why so <laughs> many
2: people, you know, come to the books and, and the and the work and the workshops because people are truly desperate to overcome
0: that. Yes. That is the big go,
2: huge problem.
0: Yeah, and letting go is, is such a difficult thing and it's uh there's so many different tools to use for that, but when I was reading through your book I was like there, there's a good this is a good way to go through it methodically, you know, just go from page one and work your way through it and know that you might have to go back to chapter two. You might have to go, you know, you might have to look at different things a few times, maybe more than three, maybe five, maybe the process takes a while, but you will get through it and you will get to the other side and be better for it. Yeah, That's you can flip
2: your way through the book, too. You can start at the end and yep. go in the middle and then hop back and forth. And then at some point, many people choose to just go through it, you know, from beginning to end again. Um, because th- there is a sort of a progression, but it also, it's designed to be sort of at the ready, a handy, a handy, uh, like almost a, a reference guide that you could look mm-hmm. up what you're going through and, and kind of do an exercise for that.
0: Yeah, that's what I said at the beginning. It really is a book that you need to have on a shelf near you if things are, if you're dealing with people, even in an office situation. I mean, if you're dealing with people, you know, just go through the exercise. You will feel a whole lot better because of it. Oh,
2: very much in an office situation because the workplace is a tremendous place of abandonment being triggered and self-sabotage. The outer child is like a big... You know, happens a lot in the workplace because it's sort of a stage where we enact all of our earlier childhood dramas. You know, the different the boss and the, you know the the coworker, and then the well, all of the the most favored person becomes the sibling, the, the rivalry person. You know, there we tend to unconsciously, of course, project our own childhood issues into the workplace, and then we we feel all the vulnerability and we we wind up acting out based on this and it's all unconscious. It's a very rich place for abandonment and it's and all the self sabotaging patterns, the workplace.
0: Yeah, you walk you walk out of your home that's secure and you walk into, you know, the jungle. That's why they call yes. it that. You and know? you know, I used
2: to come home from work um, and I would have a head trip. A head trip from dizzying feelings of i uh, how come my idea wasn't picked up on oh i think they're getting ready to fire me um you know all these uh, you know just feelings that just swim swim in and out of the mind and i would come home with a head trip and have to say all right i have to change the channel because i do not want to be right. thinking these ridiculous i'm not at work i'm at home i'm the i'm the master of my own home you know I'm the head CEO of this place. I'm not having. I would have to switch off the the station and and literally reprogram what I'm doing so that I could forget that because the workplace was just so fraught with so much of that stuff going on. There was competition and kind of backstabbing stuff going on, and it's just rich with all that stuff. So we encounter yeah. abandonment everywhere, and that's the idea is that. You know, to the the this was all before, of course. I developed the the protocol for healing, um, because you know it's just we're triggered in so many different situations. The most high functioning non abandoned you know just sort of the quote unquote normal is there any such thing really um, no people, not anymore yeah not really <laughs> um but everybody gets triggered at some point during the day in little ways n- maybe nothing major but everybody gets triggered at some point maybe not every day but at some point your little trigger and it may be subliminal but there it is kind of eroding you know your moment and causing a little bit of thought or concern or worry. So, you know, this this is um, a book that's designed, that workbook especially, you know, designed to help with all those moments and all those triggering situations to be able to identify them and then do your way out of them. That's a point. I should make that point. You don't it's think your way out point. of the stuff. You do you your do, way right. out. Yeah. Yep. It's not Absolutely. an intellectual process. It's a doing process. Yes, you do have to understand. You do connect some dots. There's an overview. You kind of develop a sense of what you're doing. But the basic thing is get action. Do something. And if the action is taking a pen and filling in a checkoff list or doing a questionnaire in the workbook, that's doing. That's better than just reading a book and saying, oh, yeah, I agree with that. No, check it off do the work even if it's just a line or a dash that it's calling for or crossing yes, because something that, out
0: that's a process of actually letting go when you yeah. do that you've given it said i'm done and you've completed your yes. to-do list so you've completed yes. it so it's gone now and it won't come back into your mind because you're done you've you made that yes. decision when you check it off i'm done right. um you're and until and you To your point about being normal, you know, years ago, they had talk shows on, let's bring on this dysfunctional family. Now, I want to see a talk show, let's bring on this normal family. There are none, okay? So everybody out there is normal to the best of your ability. You are normal for you. We are all perfect in our imperfections, and we all have imperfections, and people put too much on, well, this is what it means to be normal. No, no. No, you have to just live your own light from your heart. And this whole process is actually a healing of your heart. And when you are healing your heart and you then turn around, you come from your heart, your whole life is going to be better. You're going to flow the way that you're supposed to flow and do the things that you're meant to do while you're here and you'll feel good about yourself. So yes. when, you, when you purchase this book, and The Abandoned Recovery Workbook by Susan Anderson, you will go through it and check things off thereby letting things go automatically. It's, it's very cathartic. Do that process and get your, you'll get your life back together the way that you want it to be simply because of the fact that you're going through this one step at a time and it helps you get through the process to open yourself up to receive more good. Do you agree with that?
2: I do. And, you know, the more active you are in the process, the more you get out of it. Um, you know, I've had people actually sit through my workshop barely participating and then at the end, you can see that they, they really needed to, to invest themselves a little bit more. They may have had a reason for that. They may have been going through a depression and just made it difficult for them to really fully engage. But you can see the difference between the people who were more passive and maybe didn't do the writing or the some of the other exercises that we do in the workshop um, and the people who actually said, oh, God, okay, let me throw myself into this and do it. Because it really, who wants to do all this? But they do it, and it's kind of fun because, you know, it's you're following a program, so it becomes fun. And the next thing you know, they've had this life-changing experience. So the people who weren't ready for the workshop at the time, we stay in contact. And now they have the workbook to be able to work their way through that so they can finally, they can sort of tap into, um, you know, the the resource that they didn't quite tap into during the workshop. And it's it's pretty powerful.
0: It is powerful, and you have to be ready for it, too. And if you're not ready for it at the moment, and at least you have the book, when you are ready for it, you can refer back to it and continue, and you've got the information you need. We're almost at the top of the hour, Susan, but before we go, there was one thing in your book that I wanted to ask you about. You know, we're always told to follow our gut. Follow your gut. It's going to guide you. It'll give you what you need to do. But sometimes... You're saying that's not really so good to do. So when is it not a good thing to follow your gut? Well, you know, gut?
2: follow your gut, of course, is, is a basic rule of thumb. I mean, we all right. try to tune in. and But when it comes to our romantic choices, when we've had crossed wires from going through abandonment experiences, if we follow our gut, we're liable to chase after the unavailable or pursue someone who's not good for us. When I was younger, uh, my father had been very critical to the point of extreme, okay, and rejecting so, I was attracted to people who seemed to be all into me, into me, but they did have, uh, you know, sort of as part of their personality, they also had a very critical mean streak. And wouldn't I, mm. somehow I'm a genius, I managed to find these people and then fall madly <laughs> in love with them. But when I got burnt enough times and I was doing some of this work, I learned don't follow your gut. When you feel attracted to some guy, run in the other direction. It means <laughs> that he's probably a critical, mean person underneath. And I really trained myself to fall in love with the most, the kindest, most gentle, caring, non-abandoning, non-critical, supportive person in the world. And he, he made me so happy and so so um rejoicing in my ability to make a proper choice but i'm telling you it was not following my gut it was using my wisdom to to choose somebody who i could really respect and admire so this is good people Yeah. Because our our wires get crossed. If we get hurt, we fall in love with the one who hurt us, it crosses our wires and our brain. Sure. So then we start being attracted to people who hurt us because the wires say, oh, well, this is the love object, the herder, the one who makes right. us feel pain. Yep.
0: Wow. Well, that was a good note to end on. Before we go... Please tell our audience you know, how they can learn more about you and where they can purchase your book, The Abandoned Recovery Workbook Guidance Through the Five Stages of Healing from Abandonment, Heartbreak, and Loss.
2: Okay. People can find me by going on abandonment.net and clicking Contact Us. It has 120 pages of free information. It kind of gives you a real overview of so many of the things. Um, and it also helps you find your way to the books and the workshops so that there's so much help out there, and there's an abandonment community. If you write an email, one of us will get back to you. Um, So it's quite
0: a a resource. Great. Thank you so much for joining us here on Energy Awareness Radio. It really has been wonderful having you on, and I look forward to your book that will be speaking directly to Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes.
2: Well, thank you, T, for inviting
0: me. I appreciate the the uh, opportunity. <laughs> Oh, you're quite welcome. It's good to have you back, and I look forward to having you again. So do get on that book right away. All right, I will. So, (laughs) So listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we're meant to live, productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T-Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archived list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events. And be sure to check out our charitable organization for kids, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where we believe we are making a brighter tomorrow by giving children a better today. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.